Um, again, welcome to the forum on Am I a Mentor? And before we begin the forum, let us about to pray. I'll give you a chance to sit down. Go ahead. Okay, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, before we delve into this lesson, we would ask thy blessing upon it. We would ask that thou would give me clarity of mind, that thou would calm me down, that thou would be with each person who is listening, that they would be, feel the Spirit's urging to contribute, that we would all together learn from one another, and above all, learn what thou hast for us to learn. And Heavenly Father, we thank thee in advance of this blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, you know how you, when, you, when you have to go on the internet and you have to, uh, to sign up for something, you have to read the disclaimers, and how many people read those disclaimers? I promise to, da-da-da-da. So you already heard my disclaimers, so I'm going to go through it really quick, unless you want to read them again. So everyone heard it this morning, the disclaimers. All right. We'll go right to here. Okay. I have a problem, and I need your help. I'm coming to you. You're my counselor, and I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to help me out. So I listed my thoughts down. Hi, my name is Ed, again. Um, I am really anxious. Everyone can see it okay? Double check. Okay. I'm really anxious about this form that I'm presenting on mentoring. And the following are some of my thoughts. One, what if I mess up and do a poor job presenting this form? Two, then I would look like a fool. Three, everyone would think I don't know what I'm doing and will look down on me. Four, that would mean that I'm incompetent. Five, I will never be able to present anything to a group of people ever again. Six, it's just not fair. After all the hard work preparing for this form, and I will probably get no appreciation at all. Okay, any comments? <laughs> What's that? Very negative. Very negative, okay. You're talking to me. You're my counselor. What are you saying to me? Don't comment on this. On, on what, you're my counselor. You're talking to me. It's a risk worth taking. If you're speaking longer, um, wait for the mic. If you're just making a short comment, speak loud. I believe this mic is picking up those comments. Okay. Are you focusing more on, on what people think of you or glorifying God? Thank you for asking that question. Yeah, I was thinking, would it help you if I told you that I've been through the same experience and maybe I've gone through a couple things that helped me alleviate the fears and anxiety. Thank you for those comments. Do you actually have something to say? Or are you just standing oh. up to present? If you have something that's relevant and that's impactful, they may not get the impact of it right away, but it may come later. But if you're just standing up to talk, sit down. <laughs> I've heard you speak before, and I, I'm confident you can do a good job. 
Why don't we run through the first few minutes with me? And since I've had some experience doing it, we'll kind of see how it flows. And maybe I can help you with some structure or some things. All right. Okay. We're going to leave that for a second. Um, this topic of mentoring is just vast. Okay. So these are some of the subtopics that we could talk about. Um, is mentoring important? Biblical foundations, mentoring types, characteristics, on and on and on. We're not going to talk about any of that because I only have less than one hour, or about an hour. So we're going to talk about the fundamentals of counseling, just the fundamentals. And not that these issues are not important, but because of the time constraint, I felt to go in the direction that I did. So, having said that, what really works in counseling? And I'm now opening it up to the floor. Listening. 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 I was going to say empathy. Empathy. Excellent. Positive feedback. Who is it? Thank you. Positive feedback. Having a genuine interest in what they're saying. A genuine interest in what they're saying. Letting Good. them talk without interruption. Letting them talk without interruption. You guys are all experts. <laughs> Actually, this is a subject that's very intuitive in this setting. It's fine. As we go through it, you'll find it makes sense, but it's so difficult to practice one-on-one. -on -one. Go ahead. I have a question. Are you uh, using counseling and mentorship as synonyms? Because in some ways they're yes. different. Yes. Yes. Well, mentoring is a big word, but in terms of helping another individual. You're a helper. Okay. We'll see the mentor, mentee. Um, you're helping someone who needs help. With, a, with an issue. Okay. Having experienced it. Who's folks right? See. Having experienced it. Having experience. These are all awesome. Good. Patience. Mom, Patience. Patience. <laughs> Patience. Thank you. Patience. Okay. Now this is the crux. This is the main slide right here. This is something that um, I. I went back to schooling a couple years ago in this field of counseling, and, and at the end of all that learning, and even through my experiences with counseling people, this is pretty much the bottom line right here. But this is a model, okay? This is what the research tells us based on looking at all the research for the last 40, 50 years. And they're saying, what factors influence counseling? Okay? So the number one factor that influence counseling is the person being helped. Um, that person's a counselor. Now, again, this is a uh, secular research, and these numbers are challenged by some people, and there's also, you know, there's uh, people that will agree and disagree and so on. But in general, this is uh, accepted uh, information. 40% um, of change in counseling, positive change in counseling, comes from the person himself, okay? Um, now, the relationship between the person being helped and the helper accounts for 30% of the change. A huge part of the change um, is, has to do with the relationship between the person being helped and the helper. 15% is the placebo effect, and 15% is the actual technique, the, the way you do your counseling. Okay? So, let's go to the first one. Um, that, that, the biggest percentage 
is the person himself. And we, we often forget that as counselors or if you're reaching out to some, help somebody, we feel that we're the authority, we must help them out and so on. And we have a lot of anguish, a lot of pressure on ourselves to help them. But yet most of the change will come from themselves. And some of the influences that, that they must have, some of the things the resources they must have are persistence, willingness, openness, faith, optimism, supportive family member, and a religious community. All these things add up to help out a person to get better. Okay? The relationship factor. It's called a therapeutic alliance. Okay? Um, the stronger the alliance between you as the counselor and the person being counseled, the better chance that the person will get better. In fact, the person who rates, who's being helped, if they, they, the, how they rate their counselor has a huge factor in how much they're going to get better. Um, by the way, I see some people writing, just for you know that you can email me, and I will gladly send you the PowerPoint if you want. Okay. So this is a huge factor, the relationship. It's not necessarily your knowledge base or, or, or how great you are. It's how well you connect to that person. And this goes beyond the fact, and, and this is actually infuriating to the, to the counseling profession because you would think a psychiatrist would be, you know, or a psychologist or PhDs, <clears throat> that they would have more influence than a, a volunteer counselor. But the research does not prove that out at all. <clears throat> okay, placebo effect. Believe it or not, that how much the person thinks he's getting help, actually accounts for a percentage of them getting better. And there's been studies shown where um, a person who has taking uh, pills for depression and they've been told that this pill is going to help you out and the pill is meaningless and the person gets better from depression. Go ahead. Uh, I got some pills for depression and I had heard that. So I just assumed... Not that they're placebo, but then I didn't have to stay on them long because it, it could be just nothing anyway. Right. And as soon as I felt better, we just said, okay, we don't have to do that anymore. Okay. It, it, I don't know if it's a placebo or not. It's actually, <laughs> to be honest, it's somewhat of an unethical study because you're lying to the person. You're not really supposed to be doing that. But, but just with that thought in mind, I just assumed we're going to get better just because he gave me something. Causality in counseling is a huge issue. You may think because of this reason... Uh, the person got better. And I'll mention that the last point. The technique the person uses, there's so many techniques. Uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, the person may come and he gets better, and then and the person's happy, the counselor's happy, and they may think that um, the, the technique that was used made the person better. They may think the counselor is so good that it made him better, but it could be the person himself just got better. So you have to be very careful what caused the person to get better. Okay, so this forum's going to cover these particular three, three particular areas. Um, we're first going to start off with the relationship factors, and this word was mentioned, empathy. So let's talk about empathy. What is empathy? It's being able to relate to what the person is going through. Being able to relate to what the person is going through. Excellent. Okay. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind that each esteem other better than themselves. And I firmly believe that a Christ-like person probably makes the best counselor. 
because you can't have pride when you're, when you're counseling. It's not about us. It's about the other person. So it's also genuine concern and, and love and, and uh, interest as well. Yes. Exactly. All those things. So what we're going to do, uh, because of time, you know, typically when you, when you uh, get a little anxious, you can tend to over-prepare, so we'll see how the, this uh, form goes. Um, I'm, I'm, there may be parts where I have to rush just to stay on time, but um, I would like to go use the five secrets of effective communication to show empathy. Okay, and there's five parts to it. So when you have, a person comes to you for help, um, you would go and use these five particular areas. This is a, a tool that can be used. For example, the first one, disarming technique. Find some truth in what the per- other person is saying, regardless if it seems totally unfair or unreasonable. Don't forget, they're coming to you, they're hurting, their reality is different than ours, and they're coming to you with a problem. Okay, and you may see the problem, at, you know, who was that uh, Brother Ron's, uh, friend's, uh, Rob Friend's form? Put your hand up. Okay, we're gonna be covering some of the same areas, okay? Um, but it's, it's really important that you, you may know the answer, and you may know his problem, but they may not see it. And if you tell them str- right away, this is your problem, he's probably been told or she's been told that by many people, and they just, it's going to go right over their head, okay? So you must gain their trust, okay? So you're looking to disarm them. So for example, I'll give you an example. I need you to, t- how would you, what would you say to Jennifer? Jennifer comes to you, and, and she's really upset, and she says, um, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? Did you even break a fingernail? Okay. Now, we don't know her situation yet. She's new to us. You know, so she could be a person who had maybe small challenges in life. She could be a, a, a drug abuser. She could be living on the streets. We don't know. Okay. But she's challenging us. So how would we respond? Who wants to give it a try? I see you're upset. What's upsetting you? Excellent. Very good. Very good. Give me a long response. Yes, I did break a finger in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Be careful they don't become defensive. Okay. Uh, because they can sense it right away. Okay. The, the key is to, to find something that you show you understand what they're saying. Okay. Empathy. Two different types of, of empathy. Thought empathy. Um, where you paraphrase the other person's words that she or, she or he uh, would see that you're listening. And that's what, the example I was just giving up here. You repeat back, okay, what was said. Or feeling empathy. You know, what, what would, you know, if the person came to you, if Jennifer came to you really upset, what could you say to her to show some feeling empathy? I see that she might be, might be upset. You, you observe what you see. Okay, but don't say it that you're, you're really upset. Like, you know, sometimes what they say and what they feel may not be the same. So you want to put, the, put it out there as a question. And um, number three, inquiry. Ask gentle, probing questions to learn more about what the other person is thinking or feeling. Now, with, what they're saying and what they're thinking may not always be in line. So the more you talk to them, the more questions you ask, the more you're going to understand what they're saying. Um, 
can you tell me more specifically about the situation you're currently in that is upsetting you? And then you would uh, prompt them to ask more questions. I feel statements. This is somewhat controversial. The old um, line of reasoning and counseling was is that the counselor was uh, authoritative. He did not show his feelings. He was um, the one in control. And now we're finding that that is uh, very uh, intimidating to the person being counseled. They want to know you care, right? So um, I feel statements. You, you, you can show you can show some disclosure about yourself. You've got to be careful how much disclosure you give. You, if they say something that gets you really upset, um, you, you have to be careful how you express that. Okay? Um, and the last one is convey an attitude of respect even if you feel frustrated or angry with the other person. Find something genuinely positive to say to the other person even in the heat of the battle. Okay? So... Um, that is empathy. So before we continue, um, I want to just pause for a second. Okay? Just change subjects completely. Um, we're talking about religion, and I want to talk about politics right now. Okay? Just for a second before we go on. Now, who here is an American? Put up your hand if you're American. Okay. I'm from Canada. Okay. Now, they took a poll and they found out that most Canadians, and not a lot of Canadians, love Obama, your president. And I would want to tell you that myself, personally, I think Obama is a fantastic president. I think he's just an amazing president. I think probably that Obama, and I hope he wins the next election, I, I, I think that he could have been probably the best president you've ever had. In a Christian attitude, we'll be glad to give him to you. <laughs> I think he's a great, great guy. He's done so much good for you. I, I, I wish I could have him. I can't. What? You all failed miserably. Empathy. We just finished the section. I, I do find this undercurrent where he's not a favorite person of many. So, I intentionally put that out there because I knew it would get under some of your skin, because you know, I'm sure my comments were not received well by some of you. But that's what happened in a counseling situation. In fact, some will come to you, even after a couple sessions, and they will intentionally look to find ways to provoke you and get at you. And, and it's very typical to go there and, and, and be upset, and you forget about empathy. And that was kind of the lesson I just tried to show you there. <laughs> As Canadians, we don't care about politics, so, you know. Hockey, yeah. That's, yeah. All right. Okay, let's move on. The biggest factor is the mentee factor. We're going to talk about agenda setting. Okay, so what do you think is agenda setting? Mutual situation. Okay. Let's add to that. We started it off. What the goals of the mentee are. Thank you. The goals. Right. You're not just there to talk. Okay? There's some goals you need to set. So I broke it up into four different areas. Let's talk about it. I'm going to put it out there. If you don't answer right away, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what it is. 
Um, these are the four areas of agenda setting. So call to action. What does that mean? You're going you're gonna to ask the person, after you hear them talk for a while, you're going to ask them two questions. Or there's two directions you can go. What do you want to do about it? Excellent. What do you want to do about it? And what's the second question? What can you do about it? How do you get there? When you want to do it. Close. Close. Would you like to keep talking about it? Maybe they're not ready yet. But you have to eventually ask the question. You can have the best therapeutic relationship. And I, in my situation, I did my practicum for my schooling in a, um, a recovery center for drugs and alcohol. And uh, one of the best experiences of my life. And a lot of these people that I talked with were hardened criminals. And, um, and I somehow worked out really well. I don't know how it ended up that way, but I really um, got along with the guys really well. And we had an excellent relationship. So my, my therapeutic relationship was down pat. We got along well, got good feedback and so on. But does that mean that that person is going to get better? No, it's just one stepping stone. The question has to be asked, okay, what are you going to do about your issue, your, your, your drug abuse issue? And are you even interested in doing anything about it? Call to action, okay? Let's read that for a second. Okay, be specific. What does that mean? Quick. Close. Close. One, one issue at a time. And this happens, I know myself, I tend to do it to myself in a counseling situation. A person comes to me, to me, wants to be counseled, and it ends up where there's more than one issue. And we end up jumping from issue to issue back and forth. And by the end of the hour or whatever the time period, you kind of like get somewhat confused. You need to pick an issue and be very specific and work on that one issue. Otherwise, you may end up going in circles and going all over the place. Okay, type of problem. What are the type of problems people come for counseling for? Throw them out there. Why do people come for counseling? I just wanted to ask about the, the action. What happens if the person thinks the situation is hopeless? Let's say it's a, you know, a, a type of problem, for example, a marriage issue, where they think it's right. over, it's done. Right. And you, know, you want to work towards reconciliation. How can you sort of bring that about to, for them to consider as opposed to they think it's done? I got the answer for that question. Here's the answer. You're not going to like it. You can't. And I think that's what really hurts a lot of counselors. And especially in the area of marriage, you can talk to Brother Werner, I'm sure he can testify, the area of marriage counseling and relationship counseling is one of the toughest areas of counseling. And we try so hard as counselors to um, get something to happen that is not going to happen. You know, We need to go back to stroking that person, back to empathy, right? And back to talking more. And then you ask the question again, would you like to do something about it? And then the chances are they may say no, or they say, I can't, it's impossible, it's not going to happen. There's not much you can do. It really, it's a tough answer, but the answer I know. <laughs> There's no magical solution. Type. We have to try to know that somebody else was in the same problem and he got out of it. Right. 
Right. And those are the things you need to do. He mentioned, give the person an example, a person who did get out of the situation. They had a bad marriage relationship, and it improved. It got better, and you can bring that up. That's a good example. Talking to the old man, almost 92 years old, and his parents were believers. And, uh, can, you put, can you use the mic? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And that's where empathy, you go back to empathy, but it's, it's, you try different situations and talking about it and so on, and you eventually have to, again, you look at what affects positive change in a relationship. The biggest factor is the person himself, 40%. As much as it's infuriating that we can't get them to change, it's just not going to happen, and we have to face that fact. I know it really hurts a lot of counselors. Go ahead. Mike? Can you hear? Speak a little louder. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's the whole section we're in right now is agenda setting. They need to ask the question, do you want help with this problem? Okay? And, the, and you, or the person in need of counseling, need to say an unequivocal, yes, I want help. And then you have to ask the question, what do you want help with? Type of problem. Okay, what kind of problem is it? A spiritual problem, a mood problem, anxiety or depression, a relationship problem, it's a habit or addiction, or maybe it's not really a problem, they just want to talk with you. Okay, and that's also a very reality. Motivation. Is the person motivated to change? Okay, do they really want to change? Okay, now we're going to go to the part that Brother Robert Friend talked about. We're going to touch on it again. Resistance to change. Okay, why do people resist change? Who spoke? Thank you. It's hard work. Excellent. That's called... Can you repeat that? What's worked before will continue to work. There's no need to change. No need to change. Okay? Fear of failure. What? Fear of failure. Fear of failure. Good. That picture is untrue. Ostriches don't do that. <laughs> they don't put their heads in the sand. They, that was done on, by photographic trickery. So, so the thing is, people presume that that's what ostriches are supposed to do. They don't. Okay. And so if I feel this way, <coughs> I don't understand. Because I ain't soiled. That they don't do that. You see, we get all confused. We don't know where to go. Okay. There's some benefit for them to say that. There's a benefit for them. They think there's a benefit for them to stay in that situation. Right. There's a benefit for them to, to not change. Very good. Okay. I'm going to divide into two. There's outcome resistance, why mentees would rather stay the way they are, and why mentees resist working hard to change. Okay. Outcome resistance. Do not want to change. 
One of them is they want to stay where they are because they, I'll give you an example. A person feels worthless. That was brought up. What are some others? Why would a person not want to change? Excellent. Very good. Self-righteous. Blame. Excellent. People love to be the victim. Very good. Self-pity victim. My fears protect me. Revenge. They're out to get somebody. And until they get somebody, they're not going to be happy. Self-righteous. It gives me pleasure. A person caught in an addiction. Or denial. They don't believe they have a problem. Okay, process resistance. I'll give you an example. Not motivated enough. This process means now they agree they want to change. Okay, they, they, they say, I want to get better. But now comes the hard work. The, the counselor says, okay, we've, you've agreed now you want to get better. Now we have to do the hard work of getting better. Okay? So all of a sudden now, oh, now there's resistance again. One of them is lack of motivation. What are some other ones? Go ahead. Okay, I will. Remind me. Okay, I'll try to remember. I'll, I'll repeat your comments. Very short. Okay. Avoidance. Truth. This is a big one. Why do I say truth? Anyone guess? Why does truth cause resistance to change? When a person comes to me to you for counseling or, and they say something, do they believe it's true? They believe what they're saying is true. This is their reality. So a lot of times they're unable, for various reasons, to let go of a false truth. We, we think the cause of all the wars are in the world. You know, everyone has their truth. Okay? Pride, fear, deprivation, which means going through withdrawal, missing out on that pleasure of that uh, drug that you're taking. Okay, these are all process resistance. I um, want to use a scripture uh, reference, um, 1 Corinthians 8. Um, this describes to me um, one of the, a great example of what it means, uh, a resistance. And this is the one uh, where Apostle Paul's talking about a person who um, eats meat sacrificed to idols. Okay? Now, uh, our elder brother in our church had a, an awesome sermon uh, this past Thursday, and he talked just about this subject. It was, it was fantastic. And here's, here's the issue. Uh, Apostle Paul says, you know, idols, don't, idols are not real. They're, they're, they don't exist, okay? So if you sacrifice food to an idol, it doesn't mean nothing. So if you eat, if you eat the meat, eat the meat. It's not going to hurt you because there, there's no meaning behind it. And that's the knowledge. It's true, okay? That's a fact, okay? Now, some brother may see that that meat was sacrificed to idols and it hurts his conscience, Okay? He may not fully understand and come to accept the fact that that meat sacrificed to idols doesn't mean anything. Okay? So he feels in his conscience that he cannot eat that meat. Okay? So what happens is he's a person getting help. The person who has no problem eating the meat is the helper. Okay? 
Now, if the person, the helper says, you know, what's your problem? You know, this, this is, and he tries to convince the person, what happens? You get a schism, okay? So what does Apostle Paul says? With love, with love you say, I will not eat meat. You're looking at it from the other person's point of view, okay? You have the knowledge that it doesn't mean nothing, but your first, so what you're doing is you're using love rather than knowledge. Many times in a counseling situation, we know the answer. And that, Brother Rob brought that up. We know the answer to the person's problem. We think we do, not always. And we can see it clearly. They cannot see it yet. So we come alongside them and help them discover it for themselves. If we tell them directly, what do you get? Resistance. And that happens all the time. And I, I think... I, I, I say this looking at myself first. I think Christians are very bad at that. Okay? We want to tell the person directly, and, and we're scared to see where the person is coming from. Okay? We're using love rather than knowledge. Okay. Talk about resistance to change. Now we're going to talk of the last section, cognitive distortions. This is the te- counseling technique. This part is actually the smallest part, but it's also very important. I don't want to give the wrong impression. There are certain techniques, techniques out there that are very good for certain problems, okay? And other techniques that will, will definitely not work for other problems. So the, the technique a counselor will use, how he, how he goes about helping that person is very, very important. But again, the most important is the mentee itself and the relationship. So first, we're going to look at two things, cognitive distortions, and also double, we're going to use one technique this afternoon, um, double standard technique. So, what is a cognitive distortion? Anyone want to guess what that is? Cognitive? Wrong thinking. Okay. I'll give you an example. Mind reading. Someone give me an example of a person, situation, or a person's mind reading. I'm up here. Go ahead. Um, you mentioned to somebody that uh, you were divorced. They assumed that there was a lot of fighting going on. No. You assume that they think there was a lot of fighting going on. Is they that? told me. Well, then you, you must have had a lot of, had a lot of that. They said that. And I'm thinking, no. Uh, that was- I, know, I, know, I understand what you're saying. But I'm talking about the person who has an issue about someone else. I'll give you an example. This presentation, if I do this presentation wrong, you guys are all going to think I'm pathetic. I can just see it in your mind. Is that fair? What am I doing? Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm, I'm thinking what you're thinking, and, I, and it scares me. Okay? So I'm mind reading. How can I, how can I read your minds? Am I being fair? Okay? It's a distortion. Okay. Here's, some, here's a, a list of a few. There's many more, but it's a list of a few. Overgeneralization. You view a negative event as never-ending pattern of defeat. This always happens. Filtering, 
dwell on the negatives and ignore the positives. All or nothing thinking. You view things in absolute black and white categories. Mind reading. You assume that people are reacting negatively to you. I took that off, okay. Um, fortune telling. You predict that things will turn out badly. And as I'm going through the list, how many times have we, maybe ourselves, done some of these things? Labeling. Instead of saying, I made a mistake, you say, I'm a loser. You label yourself. Blaming. You find fault instead of solving the problem. And there's two parts. The, the self-blame, you blame yourself for everything. You're, you're, you're responsible when everything goes wrong. Or the other blame is you blame others whenever something goes wrong. Um, jumping to conclusions. Pretty straightforward. Fallacy of fairness. Boy, my kids are good at this. Um, you think everything has to be perfectly fair. When you have a lot of kids in your family, if one person, you know, if a person has to do a little bit more work than the next person, it's not fair. Emotional reasoning. Reasoning. I should always feel happy, confident, and in control of my emotions. I like this one. Heaven's reward fallacy. Anyone want to guess what that is before I give the definition? Go ahead. You expect all your sacrifice and self-denial to pay off, like someone is keeping score. Feel bitter, bitter when rewards do not come. Work hard at now. Uh, better get credit later. If not, it's very upsetting. And discounting the positive, which is uh, pretty straightforward. Okay, common self-defeating beliefs. These are beliefs that sometimes we have that are self-defeating, that could be self-defeating. Okay. Emotional perfectionism. I should always feel happy, confident, and in control. Performance perfectionism. I must never fail or make a mistake. And then perceived perfectionism. People will not love and accept me as a flawed and vulnerable human being. Others, uh, fear of criticism, fear of rejection, fear of being alone, fear of failure, and conflict phobia, where there's always going to be issues in your life. Some people would just do not want to deal with it, so they avoid it. But it's not reality. And these, can, these things all could hurt you. And we all know Philippians 4.8, be careful for nothing. Um, I won't read it all because of time's sake, but we all know very well. And this, right away, cognitive distortions, what does the Bible say? Be careful for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made only to God. And then verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, uh, honest, uh, just, pure, and so on, think of these things. Okay, back to I have a problem. Let's go back to the very beginning of the presentation. You're going to counsel me again, Okay. I am really anxious about this forum that I am presenting on mentoring. The following are some of my thoughts. I have six thoughts. Okay. What if I mess up and do a poor job presenting this forum? What's the distortion there? Anyone want to help me out? Oh. Jumping to conclusions. Thank you. Some, you could say in many cases, all. But uh, what, what's, when you stick out for that statement? Jumping to the conclusions is a good one. Next. Then I will look like a fool. 
labeling, right away you got that, good. Sometimes, you know, when we make a mistake, you say, ah, I made a mistake. Instead of saying that, we say, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a numbskull, you know. Everyone will think I don't know what I'm doing, and I will look, and will look down upon me. Not on there, but what was the first one? Mind reading. Any others? Okay. All or nothing. In a way, you can kind of see bits and pieces of all of them. That would mean that I'm in, I am incompetent. Again, jumping to conclusion, labeling, overgeneralization. Good. All or nothing thinking. If we, if we understand these things about ourselves, okay, and, and that we too can have uh, our, our thoughts can be distorted, it is so much, if we can recognize that in ourselves, it's, it's so much helpful than when we help others that they, can, that they also can recognize it because we've also experienced these things. I will never be able to present anything to a group of people ever again. Jumping to the conclusions. Fortune telling. Good. All or nothing. Last one. It just isn't fair. Fallacy of fairness. After all the hard work preparing for this form, I will probably get no appreciation at all. Heaven's reward fallacy. Okay, very good. Okay. We talked about cognitive distortions. The last part we're going to talk about is um, techniques. And we're going to talk about the double standard technique. But before we do... um, are you interested in knowing other uh, counseling techniques that are out there? I'm just going to list them. Uh, many of these I've actually studied, and some of them I, I find fascinating, very interesting. I, I believe it or not, I, I find the, the field of psychology amazing. And the more I study it, the more it shows to me the handiwork of God. It really does. You know, and people confuse that. People, often Christians, get confused and they get defensive. And they feel, oh, this is godless. For sure, many of the conclusions that are drawn are without God, without question. But you look at their observations of human behavior. It is just amazing how true a Christian worldview is. So that's a few. There's some more. There's some more. The latest now for the last 20 years or so, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, excellent, excellent technique. In fact, I was in Toronto last week. It was called a four-day intensive. For four days straight, from morning till evening, you sit there and study and you practice and you work with the therapy. So there's amazing um, aspects to that particular therapy. There's some more. Had enough yet? I'll give you some more. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. I've, I've read up studies on that. And it's amazing how they study the movements of your eye and they can tell certain things about you. Again, it only counts for a small factor. People, people get all excited about these things, but at the end of the day, 
some more, there's some more, there's some more. Motivational interviewing, excellent therapy. And of course, insurance companies really like it because part of motivational interviewing is short snippets of interview of the person you're hoping to get effective change in a short amount of time. Why? It's cheaper. And actually, that's a big study. Um, in fact, last week we were talking about that. That they found that these short sessions, which were being pushed to you by the insurance companies and so on, um, are really not that helpful. And they, thought, they find that through studies, volunteers, volunteer people who may not um, be professionals, and people who spend a, a fair amount of time with somebody get very, very good results. There's some more. There's some more. 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 And of course, it's a 12-step program, which we're, I'm sure we're familiar with. Okay. The point behind that is, isn't that funny how we are looking at techniques, and, and that's why it's somewhat infuriating with a lot of professionals, because they think their way of looking at something is what's going to help the individual. When it's a, tools are good to use, but other factors, the client or the person being helped and the relationship are the biggest factors. Okay, we're going to look at the double standard technique. Actually, I think we're going to end up uh, finishing a little early. Okay, double standard technique. When, when you want to describe it to you, you're going to see it right away. This technique capitalizes on the fact that many of us operate on a double standard. When we think about our own problems, we can be brutal to ourselves. But if we were talking to a dear friend who had, some, who had the same problem, we're usually far more objective and compassionate. As a helper, you could tell the mentee, would I say such harsh things to a friend with a similar problem? If not, why not? What would I say to him or her? Okay, we're going to use my statement. Ed, this is me speaking. You're going to help me out now. You're going to use a double standard technique. What if I mess up and do a poor job presenting the form? What are you going to tell me? I'm coming to you. I'm the, you're my counselor. I'm going to say to you, you know, Right. Would you tell that to a friend? Now, what some counselors might do, they may say, they may pick somebody, and they, and, uh, I'll pick you. <laughs> and they'll say, okay, you are, I, I need to get counseled. So they'll say, I'm, I'm Ed. So, they, so what is your name? You're Ed. Thank you. That's Ed. Okay. You are the same age as me. You have the same weaknesses and strengths, the same education, uh, you have the same problems as I do, and now uh, you're the counselor saying this to me, and you say, you say Ed, this is, their, this, is, this is Ed's problem, this is your problem, okay? What if I mess up and do a poor job presenting the form? Go ahead and say that. You have to say, repeat that up there. What if I mess up and do a poor job presenting the form? Okay, now... I'm the one needing help, so what, if this, if this technique will work, what am I going to say back to her? It's now her, it, him. But now, it's, it, in a way, it, it's, it's not me. I'm thinking about another person. Would, would I still think the same way? Well, what would I say to her? I could say it, but I'll, I want you to say it. 
It was already repeated. Go ahead and repeat it again. Would you say the same thing to a friend who is going to present the forum and felt the same way? Right. I would say to you, why would you feel that way? You know, you know, everyone maybe is not perfect. You know, um, I, I have confidence in you. I think you're going to do a great job. And so here I am trying to pump you up, okay? But in reality, I'm going against my own thinking. Okay, this will work well with certain individuals, right? You, 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 you tell them, what would someone else think? And you can even pick someone else and say, that's you. You tell them, and you repeat their thought back. And so you, tell, you respond to them. And many times they say, oh yeah, you're right. They'll see the distortion. Okay, so that takes care of the double standard. And there's many other techniques and, um, uh, we can use, but again, it's not the huge factor. You shouldn't get too worried about that you need this great knowledge. The most important is the relationship factor, that you have, uh, uh, have the ability to influence. And, and that is, again, just summarizing, that is very hard for us as counselors or those who want to counsel to accept the fact that we only count for about 30% of the change. Okay? Most of the change has to come from the person. Okay. Um, now, this is the mentoring overview. Just to uh, finish off here, um, we're not going to talk about all these issues, but uh, these are issues that could be talked about. Um, is mentoring important? And you look at, we can ask why. Biblical foundations, many obvious foundations for helping other people. Uh, mentoring types, characteristics, qualities, skills. Mentor myths, that you must be a certain way. That is, even the research bears out, that is not true at all. You can, all of us have the potential to be a good, good mentor. Um, spiritual view of mental health. I already gave you part of my opinion about uh, our view, of a real Christian view of psychology. Um, boundaries in a relationship, very important. Um, what it, can someone talk about boundaries, what that means? Real briefly. Okay. What's a big key one? Uh, Rob brought it up. Brother Rob brought it up. And it is, are you there to solve his problem? The person who's coming for help, are you there to solve his problem? What are you there to do? Help them solve their problem. And sometimes we often are so tempted to cross that boundary. Okay. That's only one boundary. There's many other types of boundaries. But um, role of the mentor, uh, role of the mentee, um, role of prayer, role of the elder of the church in the counseling situation. When it's time to refer a person to a professional, what would your guess be on that? When do you think it's time for you, you personally, when would you refer, if you're trying to help somebody out, at what point would you say you need to refer them to, uh, let me make it bigger, to someone else, a professional or to someone else? When they're, when they're at risk to either themselves or to someone else. Very good. That's actually um, uh, a very good reason to do that. Yep. Can you speak and say it louder? When they're, uh, when they're at risk to themselves or to someone else. Okay? That's a very good time to... Uh, that's also the next one, too, but to refer them. If you feel uncomfortable going further with that person for whatever reason. 
Okay, don't be scared to, don't, the temptation is to do two things, all or nothing. We, we, we want to keep the relationship going, hoping it'll change, even though we're getting into areas that we are not, shouldn't be. Um, or we forget about it and we don't do anything. And the person just languishes in their problem. Be willing to help. Now, I'm not sure how many of you know this, but brother, uh, the late brother Paul Weingartner uh, wrote a, a book called A Guide to Pastoral Counseling. Okay, excellent, excellent book. A lot of good information out of it. Um, and he, was, uh, he has a big section on that, how you can go alongside a person to a professional. And you can actually um, go to a professional as you as uh, his helper, and you can and do it together. And, and some counselors will allow that. It's actually a good learning for yourself, too. And confidentiality and privacy. When should, it's obvious, when should you not keep something confidential? This mentioned once, this repeated again. When they're a danger to themselves or someone else. When they're a danger to the sol- themselves or someone else, you must bring that to light. Other areas where you must bring, where you should not, these are the, only, these are the exceptions. You should always keep, that's you know, an aspect of trust for sure. And even talking about it to other people, I got a situation. If you need help, you should be very careful how you talk about other people. If you want help, you know, trying to help somebody and you ask someone for help, you know, how you disguise that information. Be very, very careful that they can't be guessing who it is. I've had people who wanted help um, come to me and the information was so obvious, I knew exactly who they're talking about. And I, I don't think that's fair. Okay? But they didn't know, they didn't disguise it enough. You've got to be very careful with that. If there's abuse going on, okay, or someone's getting hurt, let's say child abuse. Okay? Also, just so you know, in Canada, I'm not sure about the U.S., that if you take notes, which is, can be recommended, nothing wrong with taking notes in, in a counseling situation, your notes can be subpoenaed in a court of law. So anything you write down, anything you write down, <clears throat> you are not allowed to destroy. You must, and you could, if it goes to court, you may have to submit those notes. Accountability. Um, sometimes we think mentorship is, go ahead. So that is for professional mentor, though. If, if I am mentoring somebody being not in that profession, Am I still held accountable to that? I don't know the answer definitively to that. I would suspect, I'm going to guess at this, in the U.S., I don't know at all. My suspicion, probably not. In Canada, we're quite different. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if, even in that kind of relationship, if that person got hurt and they bring you up as a person who caused their hurt, that they could potentially bring you to um, court. I, I don't know the answer, sorry. Yes. We should not hang on to our notes, or we should take very few notes. Right. If anything, and I think that applied to both U.S. and Canada. Right. If you take notes, uh, you mentioned it applies to U.S. as well. Okay. Yeah. We also had a mentoring session in in, in a one day session in Kitchener, and that was brought up. Um, if you do take notes, just keep that aware that other people could potentially see those notes. Okay, accountability. Sometimes people think uh, mentoring is only about accountability. It's far more than that. Closure, when to cut off the relationship, and then feedback. 
is amazing, and research shows this out, that, uh, and it goes back to the important aspect of the relationship between you and the person being helped. You may think you have a good relationship, okay? And, and based on the person, the way he talks and gets along with you, that is not always the case. And when you go and you, um, if you were to give them a, a, a little write-up and ask them questions, what did you think of the relationship, often you will find what your perceptions are are completely wrong. Where you thought your relationship was great, the person you're counseling thought it was really bad. Okay? And that's why feedback is so important. Is, uh, and it's hard, that, that's more for a professional situation where you can give them little things to, to write out after the session, how did it go, and so on. Um, in our case, if we're doing lay counseling, you would do it more in the empathy area you know, and, and try to find out how, how, how our relationship's going. But so often, we fail to see the true relationship. We think we know it, but it, again, it's proven that often we don't. Okay, I'm going to leave you with this final thought of uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. And I love this. Um, this is a, uh, I want to apply it to everybody. And a servant of the Lord, which is everyone must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance, take the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by, by him at his will. And I just love these verses. I think they're very applicable to us helping other people. Because there will be times when we are on the other end where we need help. And we are so stuck in believing our own lies to ourselves. And we need somebody not beating us over the head, telling us we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong, and you need to get better. We need someone showing us with love, wanting to help us out so we can see the error that we're in. Okay, if, uh, would you like a, a, a copy of this PowerPoint? You can email me. I'll gladly give you a copy. It's ed at yonedge.com. And... If uh, the Apostolic Christian Church Nazarene Counseling Services is currently developing a program for mentoring training, if this is something that might interest you, send an email to acncounseling at gmail.com. Okay. You can take your PowerPoint presentation to the office and they can put it on the MP3s of camp. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Sure. Can you use the mic, please? What I tend to do when I'm uh, speaking with people is I ask them to bring paper and them take their notes and say, okay, what are our goals today? Or what do you want them to do in the meantime? Because often when you come back to the next session, well, what did we talk about last time? They don't really recall. So it gets you off the hook if they're taking the notes and they bring things back with them. Very good. Thank you. And then we did have a mentor training session in um, Kitchener a number of months ago, beginning of the year. And it was put on by a brother from the sister church. And we're looking to develop our own, um, and we're in the process of doing that. Um, and if you're interested in helping out or, or, or receiving the training, please send an email to that address. Any other questions at all? Go ahead.